The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The Swiss Solution Sergio Ermotti is back at the helm of UBS and looking to capitalize on the deal of a lifetime. By Marion Halftermeyer, Miriam Balazu, and Alessandro Speciale, with Max Reyes. On a Saturday in March this year, FC Colina d'Oro was grinding its way to a 1-1 draw against Zug 94, rivals in a Swiss amateur league. The soccer ground in the south of the country is a modest one. No grandstands, just bleachers in the open air, but it's perched on a hillside above Lake Lugano and surrounded by alpine peaks. The club's president, Sergio Ermati, was trying to keep his mind on the players, but his phone wouldn't stop buzzing, and the numbers looked vaguely familiar. Credit Suisse, the 167-year-old pillar of Swiss banking, had ended that week close to bankruptcy. Officials in Bern, the country's capital, were already attempting to engineer an emergency rescue. Only when the whistle blew for halftime, with the two teams deadlocked, did he return the calls. As the former chief executive officer of UBS Group, the biggest bank in Switzerland and a wealth manager of global standing, Ermati was more than an average spectator. And soon enough, he'd be pulled into the biggest contest of his career. In the rescue plan hammered out that weekend, UBS would ultimately buy its former rival for just $3.8 billion. It was also quickly evident that the CEO of UBS at the time, Ralph Hamers, a Dutch national with little experience in the complexities of investment banking or wealth management, was not the man for the job. Two weeks later, Ermati was in a temporary office at UBS's monumental headquarters in Zurich, getting ready for his second term running the bank after giving up his role as chairman of reinsurer Swiss RE. It was surreal to be back less than three years after stepping down, he told Bloomberg Businessweek in an exclusive interview in Zurich on October 11th. But after 48 hours, it was almost like I'd never left. In the months since, investors have enthusiastically backed Ermati's plan to chop up Credit Suisse and use the choicest bits to buttress his own bank. UBS's shares have risen by almost a third since March. It's preparing to cut tens of thousands of jobs over the coming years, with a confirmed 3,000 in Switzerland alone. Yet the Swiss establishment has more or less given UBS a free hand. The disappearance of one of the country's two global banks generated some political grumbling, and Finance Minister Karin Keller-Suter's Free Democrats Party has taken a dent in the polls before an October 22nd general election. For this vote, however, the Swiss seem more urgently concerned with rising health care costs and immigration. In his first decade at UBS, Ermati was a stabilizing force. The bank had required a state bailout during the global financial crisis, and a rogue trading scandal in 2011 further rocked its reputation. Although Ermati overhauled the bank's playbook, swapping the volatility of investment banking for the steadiness of wealth management, the overall growth strategy at the time of his 2020 departure remained vague. Hamers, in charge for less than three years, failed to set a clearer path. Ermati is now making amends and laying the groundwork for UBS's growth strategy far beyond the absorption of Credit Suisse. 
I see my mandate as not only about integrating the bank, he says. The true, real legacy is also to prepare the bank for the next chapter. If he plays everything right, Ermati can use Credit Suisse to bulletproof UBS as the undisputed global wealth champion far beyond his own tenure. The core of that transition will be to harness Credit Suisse's more muscular U.S.-focused investment bank to serve America's ultra-wealthy, challenging the Wall Street giants on their own turf. UBS reports third-quarter earnings on November 7th. A key point to watch will be the extent to which UBS's profits can absorb the bleeding at Credit Suisse. The latter expects a loss of some $2 billion for the period, as some business areas are wound down. The integration of Credit Suisse comes with a raft of potential difficulties, from closing out positions to managing the legal liabilities inherited from UBS's rival. The combined bank is entangled in a long list of lawsuits, as well as a U.S. Department of Justice probe into suspected compliance failures that allowed Russian clients to evade sanctions. UBS's ascent to becoming the only properly global wealth manager began in the 1990s, following the merger of its antecedent institutions, Swiss Bank Corp. and Union Bank of Switzerland. Like its peers, UBS went after the fortunes to be made in the newly liberalized world economy, as globalization went into hyperdrive following the fall of the Soviet Union. It still traded on its founding Swiss values of confidence, security, and discretion, which helped secure business in rapidly developing economies, notably in Asia. In Chinese, the characters used for UBS simply mean Swiss bank. A sign of UBS's standing is its claim that it banks more than half the world's billionaires. That's focused efforts on building piles of money into mountains of cash for the so-called ultra-high net worth bracket, a broad category that means having at least $50 million or so to invest. And yet, UBS remains a relative minnow on Wall Street, being just one of several European lenders that have tried, and mostly failed, to make it big trading and doing deals there. Deutsche Bank closed its equities business in 2019, while HSBC said in 2021 it would divert capital from its investment bank in New York to fund its pivot to Asia. Ermati's own scaling back around 2012 involved exiting most debt trading activities. Now, UBS, one of the best-valued major European institutions, wants to take a second run at the U.S., but this time in the more staid business of managing wealth and in the largest market for such services in the world. The challenge is still stiff. Rivals such as Morgan Stanley have much bigger client networks and bigger investment banks to craft whizzy financial products for them. UBS has also already suffered setbacks in trying to scale up its wealth management offering in the U.S. The latest was the $1.4 billion deal under Hammers to buy robo-advisor Wealthfront in 2022, which had been abandoned by the time the Credit Suisse acquisition came to pass. UBS's valuation has accordingly trailed that of Wall Street's titans, and Chairman Colm Kelleher has made little secret that he thinks it should be higher, as high perhaps as that of Morgan Stanley where the Irishman spent most of his career. For Ermati, boosting UBS's second-rate presence in the U.S. would fix a glaring deficit at the heart of the bank's long-term strategy, a deficit he didn't manage to address last time on the job. No one else in the industry has had this kind of chance, says Christoph Kunzel, a lecturer on wealth management at Zurich University of Applied Sciences. In UBS's 150 years of history, this was the one big opportunity almost for free, I think they would really have to mess up for it not to work out for them. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Ermati was born in 1960 in Lugano, the largest city in the canton of Ticino, an Italian-speaking area that serves as something of a riviera for landlocked Switzerland. There's a Mediterranean climate and easy access to the lakes and mountains that form the border with Italy. In terms of its presence in Switzerland's business and political life, though, Ticino tends to be overshadowed by the German and French-speaking regions. Ermati is attached to Ticino, says Christian Duprati a childhood friend who works at Credit Suisse First Boston and Merrill Lynch and still stays in touch with him. It is one of his strengths to be really grounded and not losing contact with reality. He knows what his roots are. He's also fiercely competitive, which manifests in his passion for soccer. As a young man, he played for his local team and even dreamed of becoming a professional. Once, in a soccer match organized for a bachelor weekend, Deprati says, Ermati scored a goal so spectacular that he was given the nickname Pinturicchio after Italian national star Alessandro Del Piero. But Ermati eventually switched his ambitions to finance. He'd taken an apprenticeship at Corner Bank in 1975, where he stayed about a decade in various roles. Merrill Lynch hired him in 1987, where he worked until the early 2000s. He ran investment banking and served as deputy CEO at Italian lender Unicredit, joining UBS in a regional role in 2011 before being appointed CEO in the same year. At UBS, Ermati's strategic pivot away from investment banking and toward wealth management capitalized on one of the financial industry's recent megatrends. In a world of low interest rates, the humdrum business of checking accounts and mortgages presented a challenging environment for financial institutions. Ditto investment banking, where the turbulence of arranging share sales and advising on company mergers led to a proliferation of losses. Yet the astonishing rise of global financial wealth on the back of an historic surge in asset prices these past three decades has provided a banking bonanza for a lucky few in New York, Zurich, and Singapore. The trend looks set to continue. Bain and Company estimates that the global wealth market will double in size to $230 trillion by the end of the decade, with $254 billion in new revenue up for grabs for financial institutions catering to the rich. As of yet, no single player looks set to nab all of it. No one manages more than a small percentage of the existing global wealth pool, some $137 trillion, making the space ripe for both expansion and consolidation. The Credit Suisse deal, which boosts UBS's wealth assets under management, the key metric for wealth firms, to just under $5 trillion, will help solidify the bank's leading position in Asia and the Middle East. For Ermati, the clear prize is the U.S., the world's largest pool of wealth. He's quick to quote statistics showing there are more than 36,000 people in the U.S. with a liquid net worth topping $100 million, triple the number from just four years ago. And he says his task now is to increase the share of these wealthy people served by UBS and then offer them a broader range of ways to expand their money. 
In the U.S., the industry operates mostly like a brokerage, using teams of mom-and-pop financial advisors that commit to using UBS or Morgan Stanley or J.P. Morgan Chase to bank their transactions. While UBS has a network of 2,000 financial advisors, Morgan Stanley has 16,000, underlining the challenge of scale. UBS's push for growth also comes in a crowded market that will struggle to replicate the unprecedented tailwind from asset prices over the past decade. About 70% of U.S. wealth managers' $30 trillion in asset growth in the nine years through 2021 came from markets appreciating, according to McKinsey. A world with higher-for-longer interest rates may not be so kind. Also, Every major U.S. bank sees the same opportunity that UBS does. Grabbing a slice of a steady business that investors love looks increasingly imperative. While Ermati admits it's pretty much impossible to eclipse the giants on their home turf, he still has these peers in his sights. We have $1.7 trillion of assets in the U.S., so it's not that we are small, he says. But of course, we are not as large as the pure domestic players. So we need to grow in a way that helps us to narrow the gap. The Credit Suisse acquisition, in theory, means UBS now has a bigger, more sophisticated investment bank to help funnel entrepreneurs, who need banking, initial public offering, and deals advice, into wealth management services once they get rich. The irony, however, is that Ermati is relying on what's widely regarded as the most problematic part of Credit Suisse to execute his U.S. strategy, the investment bank, once known as Credit Suisse First Boston, was the site of the $5.5 billion loss over the collapse of Archegos Capital Management in 2021. Diffusing the risks inherent in that part of the bank is one of Ermati's most vital tasks in the integration, along with keeping the relevant staff amid an exodus of dealmakers. Measured by its assets, the investment bank is set to downsize by about two-thirds. Ermati says the investment bank's focus should be on sectors including technology and healthcare, as well as private equity firms, which hold stakes in privately held companies. Those sectors have the best prospects for minting millionaires, who will later need their wealth managed. The CEO says he's confident he has a critical mass of the bankers he needs to get that job done, and can attract new talent from competitors in a way that the relatively smaller UBS investment bank couldn't do before. You need to offer more, bring more assets onto the platform, and offer more products to the same clients, Ermati says. Narrowing the gap in the U.S., in addition to what we have outside the U.S., reinforces our unique standing as the only truly global wealth manager. Nobody else can claim that. UBS has said it will give an outline of its three-year growth strategy, which will include a focus on the U.S. market expansion, in February 2024. Ermati talks about being called back to UBS as a confirmation of his first mandate, the idea that UBS would be seen as having the strength to absorb its largest competitor is evidence of how far the bank has come since it had to go, cap in hand, to the Swiss government in 2008. But Ermati is focused on building a legacy that goes beyond just being Burns' firefighter. In two or three years' time, the integration will be over and the clock resets, he says. We need to look at the next opportunities. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.